Well, if you want to open your Bibles uh, to John chapter 6, we're going to begin there. We're going to kind of jump all over the place this morning, uh, scripturally speaking, not physically. I'm too tired to jump all over the place physically, but uh, we will jump all over the place scripturally speaking uh, to cover some things. We're going to continue to speak about identity crisis, finding out who we are in Christ. Probably going to do this this week and next week and then move on to some other things, but um, uh, today... Uh, just to recap what we've talked about, we are a new creation in Christ. We are the reconciled of God in Christ. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. And we are the children of God. We talked about last week the fact that we are seen and loved by our Heavenly Father, whether it be a time of blessing or whether it be during a time of pain. He sees us and He loves us. And if you are a believer who's walking in repentance, He sees you and He affirms you that you are His son or his daughter, and he is well pleased with you. Amen. Did we have a good moment last Sunday just being able to, to soak that in that the Father sees us, he knows us, and he loves us? Isn't that an important, necessary thing to grasp? Today I want to speak with you about the fact that you and I are the called of God. We are the called of God. We have a tendency a lot of times to assume that we are overlooked, that we are forgotten about, that maybe we're not good enough, that God doesn't see us in the light that uh, he really does, a lot of times we want to assume that he sees us in a negative light. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, is that if we are a child of God, we are a repentant child of God, walking in that repentance, pursuing him. Not perfect in our daily lives. We've made mistakes. We'll mess up. But God, in his great mercy, has called us. He has called us. Folks, this is vitally important. April and I have uh, elected to take a few days uh, away together. Um, we have to schedule those kinds of things. You know what I'm saying? Uh, she's got a couple of days. She said, hey, I'm going to use these days. What days look good on the calendar? And I said, what days you want to look good on the calendar? Whatever. We set it up. And uh, how many of us know you've got to schedule days or you're not going to make them happen? Husbands, take some advice. Schedule some days. Make it happen. So we uh, we scheduled a few days and, and uh, she said, what days look good? We said 20 28th, 29th, and 30th, and I said, is something going on? It seemed like something, oh, nothing's going on. We checked the calendar, nothing's going on. We said, all right, April 28th, 29th, 30th, we're getting away. What are we doing? She said, I don't know, we probably ought to just stay home and work around the house. We got a lot of stuff to do. And I said, oh, no, we ought to go do something, go somewhere. And all the time, this was sticking in my head. There's something going on. What is going on those days? Now, I know some of you, most of you, probably those days don't stick out in your head very strong. But one day, it finally hit me what it was that I remembered was on those days. The NFL draft. So being the good husband that I am, I said, honey, honey, would you like to go to Chicago for a few days for the NFL draft on our days off? And she goes, no. You can't blame a guy for trying, that's all. So I know what we're not doing on the 28th, 29th, and 30th. But here's the cool thing about the NFL draft. These guys will work from the time they're little bitty kids all the way up through school, you know, elementary school even now and in middle school and high school and then college, four years of college, have worked really hard, have trained their bodies, have trained their minds, have, have, have expanded their understanding of the game and wanted to compete at a high level. And now here they are standing at the door of opportunity. If they get drafted by an NFL team, they are automatic millionaires. It's like winning the lottery. And here's the thing about the NFL draft, they'll, they'll pick and choose guys that they expect they're going to go early, this one may be number one, definitely a top five guy, maybe a top ten guy, this one's definitely a first rounder, and, and, and the goal is to go in that first round, to be the number one tick, tick, pick. Yeah, that was the number one tick of the team out there. What is that? Number one pick of, the team, of an NFL team. You know, because if you go round two, you still got some good players. You go round three, you go four and five, a lot of those guys don't even make the team, depending on the positions. So these guys are sitting around and wanting to get picked for the NFL draft. And, and I read an article on a guy recently, I don't even remember who it was. Uh, he, he, had, he had played his entire career in the NFL uh, had already retired, had played probably eight, nine years, I can't remember, and he retired, and he, he went in as a defensive end. The guy was a pass rusher. That's all he wanted to do. That's all he ever did in college. And he was expected to go in the first round. Well, the first round comes along. He's got his family all gathered around him. They're waiting at the house. His agent's there. He's waiting on a phone call. 
Well, they get through the first round, no phone call. What's going on? Well, I had these two other teams that were looking at me, and they took two other defensive ends in the first round. I was expected to be the top defensive end out of the first round. What's going on? Round two. Well, we're going to get, they'll pick you up round two for sure. You're not going to go further than round two. You were a, you were a round one guy. You know, you were number one. Okay, whatever. So round two comes and goes. No phone call. Round three comes and goes. No phone call. And he's finding out that he wasn't the number one, two, or three guy that was going to be picked for his position in the NFL. He was now like number 11 or 12, and they still hadn't picked him. They'd picked all these guys in front of him, and finally he got picked up by a team, had a long career, and he said this. He said, what drove me every single day is that as soon as I was drafted, I made a list of every team and every uh, defensive end that was drafted ahead of me so that I could track their record as in their career in the NFL and prove that I was better than them. And he finished his career, he was, he was about third, and he said that's right where I belonged in that first round. <laughs> the reality of it is this, folks. We have something greater than the lottery. We have something greater than an NFL draft. We have been called by Christ. We have been drawn to God the Father through Jesus Christ. We have been called out to something that is a greater reward than a good contract, a good career, or a stadium full of people chanting our names. God the Father loves us and sees us. And the reality of it is is that a lot of times we see ourselves in a negative light. We don't see ourselves as that football player that says, I'm better than what they think I am. Most of the time, as it comes to Christ, we usually see ourselves as less than. We know that I'm saved. I know that He called me out. But really, He accepted me, but He really wanted everybody else. They took me, but, but th- that one's got more talent, or that one's got a better ability to speak, or that one can play an instrument. I'm really not, I can't do a lot of things for God. And we beat ourselves up, and we minimize ourselves, and we forget that God chose us. That He specifically reached down, pointed, and looked, and said, I want Bob Fairchild. I want this one. I want that one. And he drew them to himself. If you look at John 6, we see this. That when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you didn't come by your own doing. Yes, I know you had to submit. Yes, I know you had to believe. I know you had to repent. But look what it says in verses 44 and 45. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. They all will be taught by God. And no one can come except that the Father who sent him draws. In other words, the Father drew you to himself. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, it wasn't just because of chance. You were chosen. You were selected. You were called out to. You were drawn in. By God. Drawn in. He wanted you. I can promise you this, that in your life, in coming to Christ, there was a very meticulous plan of leading you to Himself. Some of us, it may have been something serious that we had to go through where we had to stop and contemplate life. Others of us, it may have been a believer that was put in our path in front of us and giving us the opportunity to see the light of Christ in them and desiring what they had. It could be any number of things, but child of God, you were not brought to Him by chance. You were not the leftovers. You were not second best. God looked at you and chose you, and He drew you to Himself. That's what He wanted. You know, I always felt like the little chubby, uh, curly-headed kid on the, on the, the, the basketball uh, in the recess wanting to play basketball, and they're picking teams. I'll take that one. Yeah, I'll take that one. Oh, dear Lord, I'll take this one. Put me under the basket. I can clear some room. You know, I, it, listen, that's not how it is. When God draws us to himself. It says they all will be taught by God. All of those that will come, they'll all be. There's no favoritism with God. 
And when we look at the disciples and how they were called, and you see uh, James, Andrew, Peter, and John, you see them leaving their nets in their boat and following. These were just simple, basic men. Serving, working, and yet Jesus called them out specifically. People that had been overlooked, they didn't have a teacher over them. They just surrendered themselves to doing their father's work and working and working. And suddenly, here, here this teacher comes along and says, you come follow me. Called out. Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth, just working, and then suddenly Jesus comes up and says, why don't you come follow me? The one I loved was Philip, where he says, hey, Philip, why don't you come follow me? And Philip says, sure. And he goes to find Nathaniel, and Nathaniel is underneath a tree laying there, being lazy, just kind of hanging out. And he said, hey, we found the Christ. And he said, really? He said, yeah, Jesus of Nazareth. And Philip goes, Nazareth, does anything good come out of Nazareth? And they go back and Jesus says, here is, a, here, here is a Jew in whom there is no deceit. He's not false in any way. And he stands before him and he says, look, he said, I saw you when you were coming, when you were laying under the tree, when Philip found you, he said, my Lord, my God. He said, you believe because of this, I'm going to show you greater things. The calling of God in these men's life is so awesome. It's so cool. Even Old Testament experiences. I love Moses and the burning bush. I love it. Take your sandals off, Moses. <laughs> There's a bush talking to me, y'all. <laughs> and it's on fire. I love Elijah and Elisha. Elijah, who had just been through all of it, man, was tired and ready to pass the mantle. And here's Elisha with an ox. He's in the 10th row. I believe it was 10th. He's in the very back, and he's, he's running his ox, and he's got his, he's got his plow. And, and here comes Elijah and takes his mantle and throws it over him and goes... And Elisha's like, wait, I want, to burn my, I want to burn my plow and cook my ox first. Can I do that? You see these men who leave everything behind, who turn away and, 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 and follow. Listen, that's, that's what you did. Some of us maybe were called out of, out of one occupation to another. Some of us were called into our work. Some of us were called different ways to deal with things. But folks, listen, you were selected by a God who designed this universe very purposeful in everything that he does, everything that he ever did, and everything he ever will do. He selected you, and he chose you. And He's called you. And He's drawing you. He says, come join my team. It's better than the lottery, I can promise you that. You may not have been called out by a burning bush, but the same Spirit that made that bush glow is the same one that called you to Himself. You were selected. The benefits of answering the call of God, if you look on the screen, Romans chapter 8, we see some benefits. Beginning in verse 30, it says, And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. Do you know what? Before we read any further, this whole process is that He chose you before you even know He chose you. He had purposed you to know Him when He designed you in your mama's womb. He had a plan for every man and every woman that's walking the face of this earth to come and to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He had put it in your spirit to long for a living God. He had put it into your heart to worship something. And He predestined, He purposed, pre-purposed and pre-designed you to worship and to pursue and serve a God of some kind. And so that's what it's done. He called you. So at some point in your life, He called you. There was a minister that spoke. There was a friend that led you. There was a moment where you looked up and you called out to God. That was the drawing of God calling you in. And then He justified you through repentance. He cleared you of your sin. He made you righteous. But then look, not only did He justify you, He also glorified you. I'm going to stop right there for just a minute and then we'll read the rest of the passage. Is that okay? Glorified you glorified you what is it that god wants to do in your life when he calls you he wants to call you he wants to justify you and then he wants to glorify you well pastor i don't think god wants to glorify me i think god wants to humble me you're right and when we're humble what does he do he exalts us think about jesus who was humble 
and didn't consider himself equal with God. And he goes to the cross and we know that the scripture makes clear that, that God gave him the name that's above every name, that every knee should bow, every tongue confess. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for us. This is our Lord and King. Why? Because he was humble first. It's not a bad thing to realize you're not the greatest. Okay? But it is cool to humbly come to the Lord and say, I'm usable. And He wants to glorify me? Preacher, I never heard nobody say that the Lord wants to glorify anything but Himself. Well, let's read this again. Everybody say those. Those. This is plural, correct? So He's not just talking about Jesus. First of all, Jesus didn't need to be justified. He already was, right? He's talking about men. He's talking about mankind. Predestined, called, justified, and glorified. Having captured that, verse 31, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life? Is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future or any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What he's talking about here, folks, is that there was one foe that had us absolutely defeated. And when we were called out of death, you and I weren't dying in our transgressions. We weren't dying in our sin. We were dead in our sin. We were hopeless in our sin. We were separate from God. We were removed from God. But when that barrier was broke, when Christ saved us, when Christ drew, drew us to the Father, when we were brought into Him, that foe of death and destruction and sin was defeated. And what Paul is saying here is, is what else is there against us? If death, if that spiritual death has been healed, has been fixed, and we've been called, and it's been brought together and made whole, is there anything else that can separate us? There's no geographical difference. We can't go high. We can't go low. There's no time difference. There's nothing in the future. There is no spiritual thing that can make a difference. There is no demon. There is no power. There is nothing in the power of hell that can separate me from God. There is nothing. Listen, you were called into this. You were called. God called me in to show me grace, mercy. He called me in to justify me when I wasn't justifiable. Folks, listen. If if you're not shouting right now, I'm just trusting that you're thinking a whole lot. Because I'm excited about this. I, I am thrilled to death knowing that this God has been merciful for me. And I know that I wasn't the best. And I know that I, I, I could have been overlooked. I know that God shouldn't have loved me the way He did. But think of this in 1 Corinthians 1, again on the screen, verses 26 through 30. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things. Can you give that an Amen. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. You may have been the little short chubby kid that couldn't dribble a basketball, but God wanted you on his team anyway and he said i'll take you and i'll make you awesome and it will confound everybody else that looks in i will never have pride to say i am where i am today because of me because i was i was the foolish 
I, I was not the epitome of wisdom. Just yesterday, during uh, Tom's funeral visitation, I sat over here and, and visited with Brad Brooks. I haven't seen Brad Brooks since he graduated high school. He was a few years ahead of me in school. and He said, I know this guy, and come over and sit down. We had a great talk. It was good to talk with him. He said, yeah. Somebody told me years ago that you were a pastor. I was like, Bob Fairchild's a pastor? I was like, gee, Brad, never heard that one before. A plus for creativity there. He just laughed. He said, no, I'm, I'm proud of you, man. That's great. And, 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 and we had a great visit. But you know what? That's okay. I'm okay with that. I think it's awesome. Had a couple, had one guy in the community tell another person, say, when I heard that he was the pastor, I would never have picked him to be the pastor. And then he stopped and paused and he told the person that had told me this, he said, you know what? I guess it's proof that God does miracles and changes people. <laughs> yeah, I was a foolish thing. I was low. I was just a little chubby kid that wanted to play basketball. And God had plans. And folks, he's got the same plans for you. I've got about five things. I don't know, five, six things. I can't remember. And then we'll close. Some of you are going, oh, dear Lord, he's only done three now. It'll be quick. Quick and painless, I promise. So what have we been called to according to Scripture? Number one, he's called you to hope. He's called you out of hopelessness into hope. That right there in and of itself ought to be a nice thing. Called out of hopelessness into hope. Ephesians 1 says this, verses 18 through 23. Follow on the screen if you will. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The hope of the riches of his glorious inheritance, folks, in the saints and his incomparably great power. Everybody say riches and power. You know, if we all had a little bit of riches and power, all of our problems would be solved. Some of you are smart. Some of you get it. They're like, well, I don't know preacher about that one. Isn't that the lie of this world that says if we were all rich and powerful, we wouldn't have any trouble? Oh, to be like the rich and the famous. Oh, to be like the rich and the powerful. Oh, to have influence. Oh, to have money. Oh, I would never have to worry for another. Listen, folks, you can have as much money as you want to. You can have as much power as you want to. It is no guarantee for peace. It is no guarantee for health. David and Sharon Deese were here for the visitation and funeral yesterday. It was good to visit with them and and, uh, at the dinner uh, afterward, he was, David was showing J.D. and I a picture of a house that he had worked on before he started working with Convoy of Hope. And uh, we were laughing because it's this huge foundation. And in the middle of it was this little bitty backhoe. And the picture was from way far back. It was like, good grief, how big is that house? Oh, 22,000 square foot. 22,000 square foot. And it's a house, not a motel. Yeah, it's a house. He said, here's the other pictures of it and started showing it to it. It just massive. It looked like a castle. It was huge. Just started giving us the details about it. And I said, why would somebody build a house that big? He said, well, it cost them $7 million, a little over $7 million. He said, but when you've won the lottery, you've got that to spend. I said, they're literally, they're a lottery person? He said, yeah. They'd won 180 whatever, 170 some million dollars in the lottery and so they just built themselves a 22,000 square foot house. He said, here's the kicker though. The guy that built it, shortly after they started plans on it, they found cancer. And he said it was in his esophagus and they began to work on it and began to treat him and have surgery and treatment, going to remission, come back, surgery, treatment, going to remission. And he said the last he heard he was still in remission. But, but the reality of it is this, folks. You cannot purchase health And you cannot purchase eternity. Riches and power by the natural sense are not going to gain you much. 
However, we are called into riches and power. And the riches and power that we're called into are the vast riches and the vast power of an almighty, all-powerful, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God that has created all things, spoke things into existence. Scripture says He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He has all everything that you and I will ever need. And that's what we're called into. Don't get caught up in worldly wealth. Don't get caught up in a desire for worldly things because our Father sees our needs. Jesus said this, that He sees our needs and He knows what our needs are before we even ask Him of those needs. And we know that He is a Father of power and He is a Father of wealth. And He's going to meet our needs. And the wealth and the power that we're going to come into someday, Tom has already inherited. Tom, we, we did his funeral yesterday. I, Tom, we, had, we shed a few tears yesterday. Tom ain't crying, folks. I know what Tom's doing. He's introducing the throne to a little bit country western style worship. <laughs> Isn't he, Pam? I guarantee you. But for us, I promise you, we're going to inherit the same thing. We are co-heirs with Christ. Amen. We are co-heirs with Christ. It's the wealth and the power of our God. Secondly, we've been called into freedom. Galatians 5.13 says, You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. We have been called to be free. Paul makes this statement in Galatians as he's addressing the fact that there were those that were leaning back to the rituals of the Old Covenant. They were placing a heavy burden on new believers and telling them they had to be circumcised and telling them they had to follow all these rituals. But Paul was setting things straight. And I want to encourage you that when God called you, He did not call you into some mindless, burdened, ritualistic religion. He called you into life. Through the freedom of Jesus Christ. He removed the boundaries of the things that were restrictive. He removed the boundaries of the things that were difficult and kicked the door open and said, I invite you in as a son or a daughter. You are free from all of this other stuff. You're not just separated now by a curtain. I actually open that up. You come in. You're free to come and go. We have a kind of a, a misconstrued understanding of freedom as, it's, as it pertains to our faith. Our culture today wants to go down the path of freedom where everything's good, everything's okay, everything's accepted. But what God's encouraging us with in our freedom is this, that we don't have to live by some kind of a mindless ritual where we can't approach Him or speak to Him. Now we're free to do so. Now we can come into the throne room of grace with confidence. Now we can approach Him as our Father. Now we have been called in by the God that used to say, Stand back. Because of Jesus Christ... We have been called into relationship. Child of God, I've told you this a hundred times. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You today have the privilege of stopping and calling on the name of Jesus any place, any time, any moment. You don't have to be here. You can be in your car. You can be in your school. You can be in your workplace. You can be in your living room. It doesn't matter where you're at. Call on the name of Jesus. It's a privilege. You're free to do it. There's freedom there. And this freedom that we have in Christ is free of the mindless rituals. It's free from all of the issues, that, that the structures and the restraints that are put upon us. In our culture today, we think freedom uh, is, is, is more government, more structures, more restrictions, more laws, and more covering on us. But folks, that's not freedom the last time I checked. Freedom is the removal of those things and responsibility put on the people who live to live in an honorable way, to live in a godly way, and to obey God's laws so they don't need all the other laws placed upon them. God filled you with His Holy Spirit. He filled you with His Holy Spirit to honor Him, to live for Him. The law was placed upon your heart. As I said last week, the law didn't come until they crossed the, the Red Sea, the Red Sea, the salvation experience took place and then the law came. Then it was placed, the responsibility placed upon them. But you and I, it's the same way. We get saved, the Spirit indwells us, and the law of God is written upon our hearts. It's not in a bunch of rituals. Oh, I can't do that until I wash my hands four times. Today, you know what we call that? OCD, and it's a bondage. Can't walk out without flipping that light switch five times. In the church, we don't want a bunch of OCD rituals. We can just serve the Lord. There's a second part to this. 
He's called us to be free. The, the second thing we're supposed to be free at is, is in our living toward holiness. Galatians 5.13 again. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The freedom God has called us to is not a freedom from all law. It's just freedom from the religious requirements that were canceled following Jesus' fulfillment of the law. Now, t- now today, folks, that's a big argument. Preacher, you can't teach something as sin. That's Old Testament. That doesn't apply anymore. Listen, the only thing that doesn't apply anymore is that you can eat pork. All right? Eat some pork. Go eat some pig. I ate a lot of bacon on vacation, remember? I'm still a Christian. It's okay. All right? It, it, it frees us from the washings, the laws, the, the blood sacrifice, all of the things that are connected with the Old Covenant, but it does not free us up from the responsibility of the moral law that was laid out in the Word of God. The Ten Commandments still stand true. Ten Commandments still stand true. The laws of mercy, responsibility, laws of, 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 of meeting needs and taking care of one another, it's all still there, it's all still responsible and should be responsible in those things. So, but what we are now, we're according, we are now to live according to the law of the Spirit. Galatians 5.16, a little further down says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You were called, folks, to holiness through overcoming, overcoming this world, just as Jesus did. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, says, But just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. I'm going to camp here just for a minute. We're set free, we're filled with the Spirit, and then we are told not to use our freedom to indulge in sinful pleasure. And then he says, you are full of the Holy Spirit, and if you live by the Spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And then we see where God calls us out and says, be holy as I am holy. Can I ask you a question? Would God call us to do something that we could never do? It'd be like that father that says, Hey, Junior, you're seven years old. You swam across that 12-foot-wide pool really good. Today, we're going to go to a thing called the Wabash River. Swim. Now, God, no parent in their right mind would do that. God called us to holiness. It may be a feat that we have to work up to. It may be something that we're growing in grace week at a time. If we live by the Spirit, we should be growing in grace. Amen? Amen. But he's not going to just throw us say, well, you're a failure. You messed up today. You're done. Well, I'm going to move on see if I can call somebody else. We've got some time. No. God doesn't want us to take his grace and use it as a license to sin. And he's called us to be holy. I have beat myself up for so many years because I just assumed I'm not holy. I never will be holy and I can't be holy and so on and so forth. But the reality of it is this. God placed his spirit in me with a purpose to make me holy and not just justified, not just declaring me righteous, but so that I would live in such a way of where my life would be holy. And that takes some time sometimes. But there should be a progression in our lives from glory to glory. There should be a progression in our lives of moving from one place to the next. There should be a a process by which that we will become stable in our thinking, stable in how we live, stable in how we act. We will resist the devil and he'll flee from us. We'll fight against temptation. But at some point we will overcome. And, And why will we overcome? Because you were called into overcoming. That's what God does in us. Fourthly, He's called us into peace and suffering. Now somebody right now will say, Pastor, that's an oxymoron. You can't have peace and suffering. Well, 1 Peter 2.21 says, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. So we see this plan that Christ suffered for us, and so we should return and follow in His steps uh, in, in suffering. Then Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Some people would say, Pastor, how are you supposed to be peaceful in suffering? The reality of it is this, as we said in our Sunday school class, it all comes back to Christ every time, all the time. Jesus Christ was the final example of peace and suffering together. 
It was Jesus who hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. It was Jesus that had peace before he went to the cross where the scripture says, with the joy set before him enduring the cross. The joy was for us. The joy was for the work that was going to be done. And yet there was peace. Hmm. So God has called us to suffering. But not only suffering, but peace in the midst of suffering. You know, there's a, there's a temptation in our culture and expectation of the church to say that a person is, is overcoming and being spiritual when they never face troubles. We think peace is never facing trouble. But the true believer, the true overcomer, is the person who finds peace even in the midst of troubles. That's the true overcomer. True peace isn't avoiding troubles. The true believer will find peace in the midst of troubles. That's what Jesus taught His disciples on the stormy seas. That's what He taught them when there was no food to feed everyone. That's what He taught them when dead people were lying in graves and He called them out. That's that's the peace in the midst of suffering. That's what Jesus is all about. That's what He did on the cross. In John 14, 27, Jesus told the disciples, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Then He said this in John sixteen thirty three: I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Listen folks, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be angry. You don't have to be upset. You can face impossible things and you can face them with absolute peace. That's what you've been called into. People who have a peace in Christ, people who are looking toward eternity, don't struggle so much with the fact that they have a terminal illness. People who are... I I sit so many times with Tom when he was up here. I I couldn't imagine, but just look at him. I I saw him laying up here, but I know where Tom is because Tom and I talked about it. Tom would get excited when you start talking about heaven. He'd get excited when you start talking about being around the throne of God, when you start talking about those kinds of things. How is it a person can have peace in the midst of suffering? Because they're looking ahead. It's the joy set before them. You can endure it. That's what we've been called into. You don't have to struggle with no hope. You don't have to give up. God is a loving Father who has not led you on a destructive path. Next, we are called to bless others and to receive a blessing. 1 Peter 3.9 says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Everybody say the word people. You ever had to be around people before? Some people are people and some people aren't people. I always kind of make that joke that... Tell April, I said, I, got, I just have to get away from people for a little bit. <clears throat> well, what, what am I? I said, you're not people. <laughs> you and Alyssa, you're not people. But some people are people and other people aren't people. But the people that are people, i got to get away from those people. You know what I mean. Some people are people. Amen? <laughs> right now, some of you are saying, am I people? <laughs> what am I? Am I people? It depends on the day. Some days you're people and some days you're not people. But it's okay. Listen, we're not called, when you come across people, to just insult back when they insult you. Can we just be real for just a second? This one's a tough one. I had somebody be rude to me the other day. And I had this instant rage inside of me. It's like, who do they think they are? Anybody else ever been there before, or am I just unspiritual? And April says, you need to calm down. I said, I'm trying to calm down, but I want to return insult for insult. I would like to return evil. Listen, you come over and insult me, I'm going to insult. You know what I did? 
I punched Paula one time when I was a little guy. Paula deserved it. She's four years older than me, but I punched her. Do you remember that, Paula? You remember me punching you? Okay. She's held it, she's held it against me ever since. And I got in trouble. Never mind the, four, the girl that was four years older than you beating you up and you punch her in the face. And you get in trouble. And Dad set me down and said, you don't ever punch your sisters. You don't ever punch a woman. You don't ever lay hands on a woman like that ever again. And so I had to learn how to fight like a girl fights. <laughs> and this is, in case, guys, in case you don't know how a girl fights, I'm going to tell you how a girl fights, okay? They watch. And they observe and they see everything. And everything that happens around them, and they know that they've got something on you, they just take that little memory and they shove that in the back of their head. And they don't say a word until the appropriate time. <laughs> and as soon as you do something, they say, well, that's fine. I'll just go ahead and I'll go tell mom X, Y, Z. And you're like, where'd that come from? Husbands, let's watch your wives. They've been doing this their whole lives. When you do something, they, then suddenly they, you have a conflict and you start to bring, and they just like, they clear the tables and they just start playing things out and saying, you did this, you did this. Remember you did this, you did this, you did this. It develops in early childhood, I'm telling you. <laughs> so I learned at an early age how to quickly be able to be like, okay, we'll just take that and put that right there and that right there. And I got pretty good at the game myself. The problem is, is that it carried over into adulthood. And when somebody wants to insult me, I'm pretty quick. And if I'm not careful, I could insult back before I like, I'm trying to grab it. But what we're called to is not to act like the rest of the world. We're not called to behave like they behave. Look, it says, do not repay evil with evil, even though at the moment it sounds so good. You can't do it. Or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because this you were called it was this. We were called to bless those who persecute us. We were called to pray for our enemies. We were called to, to bless those who despise us and say things about us. We were called to it. And again, God's not going to call us to something that we cannot do. You were called and equipped to be the voice of calm uh, and, and the reason of hope and of peace in the volatile situations. You were called into faith to bless and not curse. And because we obey the Lord, look at what it says, that you may inherit a blessing. How many of you want a blessing? Give me the blessing. Isn't that strange? The only way you're going to find a blessing is to be able to bless those who curse you, bless those who hate you, bless those who do evil to you. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't want to bless the person the other day. I wanted to bless them well, let's just move on. <laughs> Lastly, in closing, we are called to in eternal life. 1 Timothy 6.12 says, Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. God not only called you out because He loved you, He called you out to eternal life. He called you into this eternal hope he called you not just into the ability to call on the name of Jesus, but one day He's called us to be able to stand and look at Him face to face and to spend all of eternity with Him. That's awesome. That's awesome. All of the blessings, all of the inheritance, all of the things of God, the struggles pale in comparison, the, the, the insults pale in comparison, all of the struggles, anything that there may be before us are small in light of eternity. We've been called to be with Christ. When He drew you, when He put together the plan that would draw you into His presence, some of you, it may be now, some of you may be this place right now, it's like, wow, this, this is weird. This is not part of my normal life and routine and why do I feel like this? That's the drawing of the Holy Spirit. That's God and His mercy saying, I brought you here this time for this moment to know me. That's what it is. And in the process, He wants to give you hope. He wants to pull you out of hopelessness and into hope. 
He wants to give you freedom. He wants to give you holiness. He wants to give you peace in the midst of trials. Folks, He wants to empower you with such confidence and strength that you don't have to return insult for insult. You can return it with a blessing. Why? Because there's coming a day we're going to receive all of our inheritance and all the other things are going to pass away. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is the fact that He has called us into an eternal life with Him. But yet so many of us assume that we're a nobody in the kingdom of God. So many of us assume that God chose that one or that one and God's blessed that one and this one but not really me and God's using this one and that one but not really me and and, and listen, what I want you to do is get out of your defeatist mindset and understand that the God of the universe chose you. And some of you like to study your Bibles and I'm going to give you something to study this week. You ready? I want you to go home if you've got a concordance and I want you to pull out these words. Head and tail. And I want you to study throughout the Old Testament multiple times where God spoke to Israel through His leaders and said, you will be the head and not the tail. You will be the head and not the tail. The plan of God is this, child of God, that when He calls you, He calls you not to be the tail, but He calls you to be the head. So many of us see ourselves as a tail. When I was a welder, my boss always would tease me and he would tell me, he said, you're not a welder. He said, you're not even a pimple on the backside of a welder's behind. A little different language too, but that was basically the gist of it. Folks, you are the head and not the tail. So many of us see ourselves as that little salamander tail that as soon as it gets grabbed a hold of, it just drops off and it's expendable and another one will grow back eventually. Listen, child of God, he called you out to be the head and not the tail. He's empowering you to be the head. What does a head do? A head directs, a head thinks, a head speaks. A head is the one that moves everything else. What does a tail do? It drags behind. It's led, it follows. It's in the dirt. It's in the dust. It's not thought of. It snags on things. It gets caught. It falls off. You have been called to be the head and not the tail. Some of you need to print this out, write it out, and you need to put it on your mirror so you see it every morning when you brush your teeth that I am the head and not the tail. My heavenly Father sees me and loves me, values me. He loves me so much, He called me out to make me the head and not the tail. Somebody needs to hear that today. Somebody needs to grab a hold of it today. And somebody needs to allow it to change their lives today. Bow your heads with me, if you will. Father, I thank you that I am the head and not the tail. I thank you that I am the head and not the tail. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you've called me to greater things. Thank you that you have a plan for my life. Thank you that you've called me. And I haven't just wandered in by accident. I'm not an illegitimate child, Lord. You have adopted me because you chose me. And you're making me the head, not the tail. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to put your faith in Him. If you're here and you say, Pastor, I don't know Him and I want to to make Him the Lord of my life this morning, just with an uplifted hand, would you be able to let me know today so we can pray for you? That's you. Just go ahead and do it now. Hallelujah. He loves you. He loves you. He sees you. He's drawing you. <laughs> Look at me, if you will. As I just said that, I, I remember... I remember days of sitting back there in the back row of the church and altar call time and just feeling the Holy Spirit just beat me up and pulling me, dragging me, calling me, calling me. 
people praying for me that I didn't even know were praying for me and the power of God drawing me forever closer to him. At that time when I was sitting back there eating beef jerky and corn nuts, I had no idea what God was going to do with me. And you have no idea what God's going to do with you. But he's calling. Some of you have been called, but you've settled. Some of you have been called out, but you've set back. I challenge you to remember that you're the head and not the tail and begin to seek the face of the Lord again and find out what it is that he has for you. Because you were chosen for a reason. Chosen for a reason. Hallelujah. Stand with me if you will and just throw your hands in the air. Just begin to thank him for his goodness today. Oh, Father, you are so good. So merciful. So kind, so patient. Thank you, Lord, for calling us into your family. Thank you, Lord, for making a way. Thank you, Father, for making us the head and not the tail. Thank you, God, for transforming our lives. Thank you for calling us into hope. Thank you, Father, for calling us into freedom. Thank you for calling us into holiness. Thank you, Lord, for calling us into peace in the midst of suffering. Thank you, Lord, for calling us to love our enemies and to, to not return, uh, return evil for evil, but to return it with a blessing. Thank you, God, for giving us the hope of eternity with you. Lord, you've called us out, and there is nothing that can separate us. Nothing high, nothing low, no power, no, no spirit, no, no activity of a government or anything else that can separate us from the love of God. You've already overcome death. You've already already overcome that which separated us, which was our sin. And God, you have made us justified. You have made us righteous. All because of your drawing. All because of your leading. And we are a people who stand with a thankful heart today. By your power, God, and by your spirit, I pray that you would place your name upon us this week. That you would go before us, Lord. You would hem us in before and behind, God. That you would lead us and guide us by your Spirit so that we wouldn't fulfill the desires of the flesh. And Lord, that you would help us to control ourselves and be the witness that you've called us to be. Lead us out of here, God, in your will. And bring us back back again in your will. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.